Right. So uh, today I'm with Kuzayo Kute, uh, the Chief Operating Officer, if I'm not mistaken, of Akiba Digital. Uh, I don't want to describe what Akiba does. I think that's a waste of time <laughs> for me to do. But give me a background. What is it, uh, who you are and what Akiba does? Thank you. Um, so as I stated, my, my, my name is Kuzai and I'm the current Chief Operations Officer at Akiba. been with the company two, two plus years, getting into the third year. Uh, and what we essentially do is we we're, we're a startup, we're a fintech uh, based in SA. Uh, we try to provide solutions around the lending space, so alternative credit scoring uh, in the lending infrastructure itself from uh, an SME point of view to a lender's point of view. So trying to automate the process uh, of the journey SME or applicants that we are. So in your context, what does alternative credit scoring mean? Like, okay, so um, just maybe taking steps back, mm. um, when you do the credit assessment or credit scoring, you, you're trying to apply for a loan. They do uh, traditionally they will check your credit history when you've taken a loan, your repayment uh, history, how you you went about it, and so forth, and. For that to happen, you need to have a credit history to begin. Mm. And for you to get a loan, you need to have a credit history. So if you think about it, it, it brings about a whole circle where for you to get a loan, you, you should have gotten a loan before. And for you to, so you can't get a loan without having taken a loan previously. Okay. So imagine yourself coming out of university or starting your, your first business and you want to apply for a loan. You have never applied for a loan before. So you are what we would term in the industry thin filed. Uh, there is no history about you. They they can't tell whether you're good for credit, you're bad for credit, or you're just okay for credit. So what alternative scoring is bringing in is to try to look at a current view of, of a customer or a client, uh, looking at their transactional history, uh, history being maybe three months, six months, bank statements, uh, from that, trying to look at the patterns around the data or the transactions that you have been uh, processing and see where you would rank and how much you would afford based on the income that you're getting and the expenditures that you, you have on a monthly basis. So with that, you allow a first-time applicant to get um, finance because you can tell from their three months or six months or a year even of, of transactional information whether they're good for credit or bad. But that seems like a very complicated equation to work like transactions based on a three-month score. So let's, for example, say I've got an average of 500, let's say US dollar terms, uh, US dollars transactions every month, and I spend four-fifths of it during that month, so $400 of $100 remaining in my account. What would I be able to qualify for? Or what can you tell? Or what can a, uh, a fintech, an SM, uh, microfinance, or a lender be able to see uh, from that? So... Great question. So there are a couple of things. It's a whole engine that we had to build from scratch, uh, which factors in a couple of things. So um, how volatile your transactions are, how frequent your transactions are, uh, whether you use the... So it's not only a matter of what the balance that remains at the end of the day is, mm. but it's also a matter of when you transact, how are you transacting, how frequently are you transacting, what are you transacting on? And is is it a habitual thing or next month you see a fifty thousand just left your account, mm. right? 
So all those outliers, uh, there's default prediction that we, we have one to one or a search engine or an engine which can tell whether there is high probability that someone will default or low probability that someone will default. There is a risk assessment or risk score where we assess how this kid is to learn to some. There is an affordability score which also looks at how much you would have you would be able to afford the facility that you'll be able to, to pay back per period. So if giving an example, if I'm transacting, maybe I'm a, in my small business, I'm, I'm doing 10, 30K a, a month. Mm. Um, and with that, we can see the transactions are getting in. We can see the customers are paying. We can also see you paying out your, whether it's your suppliers or your employees and so forth. And we see that volatility over time. Uh, what you you are spending on, how frequent it is, and whether you you have a float or not, we can tell based on that uh, how much you would be able to afford to pay back a month, and how risky you are as a as a client to to the lender that provide the facility. This, for me, to be perfectly honest, if I was in microfinance and I know you know what microfinances are like, they would see this and like this is way too complicated. This is something we can't really, particularly the old school microfinance institutions. How will you be able to take what you've just told me and pitch it to them beyond the fact that they can just get more lenders? Okay, so so we we have faced those traditional uh, lenders before mm. who are set in stone in how they, they have been doing things and they want to continue doing. But what's now coming into, into play um, and I think the web is, is hit across the whole continent is a buy now, pay later. So the solution which is coming up. Mm. And for that to happen, you need to understand where the customer is and how much they, they can have. Mm. So the calculations, how they calculate, it's, they are already doing it to some extent. They are just doing it as an Excel, like Excel sheet as an example. Okay. So they, they would say, um, could I end... Uh, five thousand. Mm. They punch it in, and the expenses per month is two thousand or three thousand. So we're expecting the disposable income is around this much, right? Mm. And from that speculation, and again, this is speculation. They would come up with a facility that uh, I would afford if I'm applying for something. Okay. But now what we are bringing in is we want that live data, live transactions. We can't estimate that just because uh, maybe the standards of living. Um, say someone spends a thousand a month that doesn't go across the board maybe i am one of those guys who spent all the salary on you know <laughs> other things so that should come into play and that's where we are coming in to say okay let's not give assumptions or bring up assumptions rather let's work with the data which is actually there. okay so with that we have managed to build a couple of solutions around that where uh, particularly for smes they can link their bank accounts. We can see live transactions going in and mm. we can assess whether they're going, doing well or they need to improve on one or two areas. Uh, we can allow for uploading of bank statements. And once they upload, all that process is automated. We've built our own uh, technology that can extract the, the transactions. And from the transactions, calculate what someone would be, would be able to afford uh, whether they are good for credit, bad for credit, um, or they're, they're in between. So we have put a lot of effort and a lot of resources around building a seamless process for 
the lender mm. who's going to make the decision because at the end of the day, what they're interested in is to see whether someone is good for credit or bad for credit. Um, and for the SME who's applying, they also want to apply from a click of a button. Right? Mm. So we have built all that into play and bearing in mind that there is also need for, you know, that traditional view. So sometimes there is a big misconception, if I can put it, that the uh, alternative scoring is a replacement of uh, traditional scoring. Okay. So it's it, how I think of about it, it's more complementary than uh, competitive per se, mm. because uh, if uh, the traditional information is there, if you have, you have taken credit before, that's fine. It, it can be brought up and you can see. But then if you're a thin-filed customer, you won't be able to have that data. Mm. So what we have found with other partners that we are working with is they would ideally want both. They want the alternative piece mm. and they want to also be able to get that uh, credit credit bureau report to see whether there were any cases with that client. Okay. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned uploading of bank statements. So I'm guessing this information comes directly from bank statements. Correct. So um, is this something that the customer the bank has to upload physically like to a scan and upload or is there like a way to tap into the bank system or an integration with the bank to be able to uh, capture those uh, internally without having to physically print paper or send an email to let's say a bot that then translates the numbers okay um great question so we we have actually three ways of getting um the data transactional data because mm. at the end of the day what we want is transactional information mm. So first, we work with a third-party provider who is able to link with uh, all the banks in South Africa. Um, we can the the linking is a is a pure integration. If if you're coming on on our platform, we can allow you to sign into your bank and allow to to link the the to our application and uh, web application and the the bank banking transactions. Mm. So what we'll just be getting on real time is the transactional uh, information. Okay. So that's the first piece. So by real time, you mean as I'm swiping a card, you then know that I spent X amount of money. Yes. And you do update whether that, that was good for your credit or bad for, for your credit. So how, do, how does that determine how it's good for my credit and bad for my credit? So cumulatively, all the transactions that you're making uh, are feeding into your credit uh, assessment. Mm. So um, let's think of it this way. So you 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 get a income of fifty thousand, right? Mm. Uh, that clearly can affect how much you are able to to get a facility you are able to get, right? Yeah. Uh, how much you can afford. Um, and if after you put you you spend you get that fifty thousand, um, the very next day you spend fifty one thousand, right? Mm. So maybe you're spending more than you are you you are getting. So one, that's a red flag to mm. say, okay, maybe you, you really can't afford to be getting a loan at a particular point. Okay. Um, but if you also look at um, if you're continuously getting income, mm. uh, what you afford as a facility will also get bigger over time. So the idea around our Insights product is to try and aid SMEs to know the patterns that can assist them to, to get ready for for credit so okay. it's a whole journey for them to get ready for credit so 
we provide actionable insights such as uh, um let me give a typical example typical example might be you're in the same industry as as a restaurant okay. but you always your transactions always end at 4 p.m right so to us the first the first thing that we can get from that is you close your business at four okay or around four okay but someone because we also are encompassing geolocational information okay. we can tell okay so you're, you're operating in the cbd there's a business which is similar to you and it's closing at eight or nine okay and we can see from their business there is a another peak around seven where transactions shoot up okay so the insights that we then provide is then to say hey you might need to consider opening a business for a longer period of time okay because you want to be able to get that second peak of okay. them so these are actionable insights that at the end we want to aid the sme to get more uh into the business mm-hmm. to allow them to be ready for for, for funding or financing okay that's very interesting makes a lot of sense uh, and i think that's really useful business insights but i don't go back to that fifty thousand and fifty one thousand expenditure let's say for example it's an emergency medical expense there was no way to get around it someone got sick or um, it was an employee something happened with an employee an accident is that something that you can rationalize on your side when you're not doing the alternative credit scoring so great question so no and yes uh would be my answer okay so no in terms of the the engine is going to automatically calculate that as an expenditure uh that's that's an automated engine we don't have anyone kind of sitting down and and explaining each transaction right okay we are just looking at what's in the business and the patterns that have been going through uh the business so okay. uh that will be the first red flag but then if that happens once in a year or that's not gonna affect your that's not going to significantly affect your 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 credit scoring in the bigger scheme of things. Okay. Right? So if it's something which is, which has a pattern that's definitely going to continuously affect uh your your business. Oh, but the the system the engine can manage for outliers. Let's say that peak once Correct. every 6 months or once 6 months then another peak it can then just oh okay. So does it do that? Like yes. So so there are certain peaks or red flags if okay. we, we can put it that hmm, this this is is tricky or this this doesn't make sense. Okay. So those are, are we are able to to red flag those outliers to say okay the these are the things that are quite tricky about what came up or the the unexplainable. Okay. Um, and we are able to to red flag you know those those kind of things. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so the question that I always like asking people who are in business, mm-hmm. how does this make you money? Because it feels like it's making a lot of people money. On the credit on the credit provider side, they're making money. On the on the uh, guy asking for credit or the entity asking for credit, they're making money for you know cash flow, whatever they need to buy. For Akiba, how do you guys then fit into the system to become a sustainable business? Okay, uh, great question. And I think that's a question that we continu- continuously try to answer on a daily basis. <laughs> um but we, so if I can break down a keyboard, say we have two major products. Um, one is the insights.ai, uh, mm-hmm. which is catered for SMEs. Right? The idea there is to help the SME through the journey of them getting ready for financing. Uh, us noticing those uh, transactions and helping them, you know, uh, get to a point that they can apply for, for, for financing. So. Okay. 
that whole product can can help from the beginning to opening a bank account to say PC documents and and so that when you are ready for financing, it's a matter of pressing a button and all your documents will be sent to one of our 15, 16 lenders that we work with. Okay. Um, and they can assess whether you can apply with them or not. Right? Okay. Um, and that, uh, it's, 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 it's a direct, we, we are giving lenders business and then they, they pay us for, for the business that we kind of giving. So what, the, what rate do you use to pay um, businesses? Because I know... Uh, a, a startup that is similar to you that's in your space, Tumeza pays, what is it, 2% facilitation fee for the, the logistics side of things? For you guys, what, what does that work? How does that work out as? So it honestly depends with the lender. Okay. Um, but the, the space is between 3 to 5% okay. uh, of the full facility. Right? Okay. And that's, to, to us, that's more, we're trying to focus on that helping SMEs. We don't really uh, rely on that, you know, bigger space of of, of making millions from from lead generation. If oh, okay, okay. That, that. Um, but now over and above that, what we realized when we built the first product, which was Insights, mm. is the lenders also have a lot of manual work. Once we send them, they are going and printing those CIPCs, and 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 then you know, there's a lot of paperwork which is also going. So what we then decided um, to do a year, a year and a half back was to then create a dedicated uh, SaaS product or software as a service for the lenders themselves. Okay. So what we have done is we've created a, a, a software that allows the lender to do everything from disbursement of, of funds uh, to money loan management to getting receiving the 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 loans themselves mm. to id verification to um scoring and and so forth so all that we have put into one software and that's the product that we sell out to the lenders that we work with how much does that generate in terms of i i, I know you i'm not even gonna attempt to ask you for specific figures because i know that's a fool's errand but <laughs> How much of a portion does that make of your revenue as a company? So that's that's our biggest uh, contributor, uh, I would say. Um, range, I wouldn't know exactly. I would say forty, fifty percent. Okay. Um, yeah, somewhere, somewhere about about that. I'll, I'll have to double check again um, <laughs> on that. But yeah, so that's more or less how we then interact with um, the the lenders themselves. So we have lenders who are using our, our product, and what we have then allowed them to do is, even from any other application, they can get that fully from the. Uh, software software side and they can log in and they can manage they can review applications they can send offers uh, and so forth so everything is now think of it as a digitized uh, lending uh, solution so it's a software that allows lenders to automate certain aspects of their business correct uh, okay cool yeah. um does that solve so i know for my minor understanding of the credit market i know there's a big there's not as much of an issue as lending to individuals because you can say yes or no, depending on what they're scoring, whether alternative or traditional. My question now is to businesses. Is there a way that you guys have tackled the B2B issue of identification of businesses? You know, let's say, 
because I had had run a business before. It went bankrupt. We stole sixty million dollars or something like that. Hypothetically, do you have a solution that does a B two B for those who want to lend to other businesses and want to understand who they're dealing with? So that's that's kind of the same SaaS solution that mm. we we provide. So with that, we we have a selfie verification because. What we are trying to solve for is to make lending cheaper at the end of the day. Okay. And if you realize why lending is so expensive, it's because there is a lot of impairments that happen because of bad debts. Mm. And some of it, for example, is ID, ID theft, right? Okay. ID fraud. And that has come a lot from me, let's say, applying on behalf of my brother who doesn't, who is not even consenting to the application of that loan, right? Yeah. So what we have done is we have uh, uh, we have pinged Home Affairs South Africa, which can after you upload your ID, we can check whether you are the same person. So after you take a selfie picture when you are doing the application process, mm. we can check the ID that you have sent us and the picture that you took, whether that's the same person or not. So you've got a direct plug-in to Home Affairs, to yes. it, is it an API or is... yes? So we also use a third-party provider for for that uh, technology for us to be able to to ping Home Affairs and check whether the person is the same person or not. Was it not worth it to get direct access to Home Affairs or it was something that was easier to do through a third party? It was easier to do looking at time and resources. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things would come into into play at that because we we really can't do everything per se. Okay. Because, yeah, I, there's also a matter of resources and time, uh, of course, when, when you're making these, these decisions. Would you want to directly integrate with Home Affairs? Because I look at it from a operations point of view that you've introduced a failure point that if your third party some, somehow goes down, means that you're now leaving clients who are, would otherwise need your service without a service. Yeah, so definitely something that we'll look at um, in the future. Uh, currently, it's not as big as a, a priority because we also kind of are working on other aspects of the product okay. that would also want to, to push out. Okay, great. So you said it's, it's, it's made, you, your goal is to make lending cheaper and more accessible. Yeah. So on the ground, how have you done that? Let's say with the numbers. So we currently work with 10,000 plus um, SMEs in South Africa. Um, we, we have worked with or we are working with uh, about 20 plus lenders, micro, microfinance uh, companies. Um, and the idea is to create a competitive space. So okay. instead of you applying for one from one lender, you have an option to just go for all 20 and then the cheapest right to, to us that's the first step okay the cheapest cost and then over and above that you're now moving into okay how can we reduce the cost to to the lender because that's also something that we need to bear in mind right? so how, by how much would you say you reduce the cost to the lender um we haven't done the calculations to be honest uh, but because it's quite hard to tell which fraud you have uh derailed Okay. Uh, initially, mm. uh, but then obviously, as as the data points continue to grow, we can be able to tell. Okay, this is our impact as as far as one, two, three are concerned. Okay. Yeah. And accessibility wise, I, listen, I I won't play dumb and say getting transactional history is not a good way to get loans because it's something I've been crying about in Zim. Like, why do we not have that in Zim? And the one point I want to come on to is one we spoke about at the first Akai Founders Meet. You remember, I don't know if we both could come to that, but if we remember, yeah. is mobile money. 
Mm-hmm. It's such a key aspect when it comes to um, the Zimbabwean market, the Kenyan market. I don't know how well it's doing it in Zambia, but I think from the um, Zambian payments uh, report, I've seen that it's doing pretty well. Um, in South Africa, more money is not really a thing because South Africa is, is a banked quote unquote economy, mm-hmm. but not really. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of Africa or in the markets you operate in, have you seen a reason to include mobile money? Yeah, so great question, actually. So we have actually done integrations with um, PESA. I don't know whether you're familiar with PESA uh, in Kenya. Mm. Um, That's where we we are trying to to then figure out how best to to then engage the market. Because as you said, um, South Africa is a credit credit, uh, economy. Uh, most of Africa, if not all, are more cash, cash, cash economies. Yeah. So if we are looking at it at that point, it's gonna be a whole different uh, beast when we then try to tackle the the likes of Kenya, uh, Nigeria, and so forth. So the aim is there. Um, hopefully, in this uh, current uh, financial year, uh, or in this year, uh. And we hope to start with Kenya. We have already kind of started getting partners in Kenya and seeing how we are going to penetrate in the Kenya market. Okay, so I'm, I'm, with mobile money, my mind is going to not necessarily getting thousands of dollars because if let's, let's take Zimbabwe's example is that their mobile money limits on how much you can, on, can spend. So it's more from, in my mind, I don't know, maybe your opinion might differ for micro and, uh, micro and uh, nano lenders mm-hmm. who want to give out you know, very set, small amounts of money. Um, in South Africa, or let's say in, in the Zimbabwe market, is buy now, pay later, which doesn't really exist in the way it does in South Africa, because South Africa is a whole market. Mm-hmm. D- would it be uh, the use case for mobile money credit scoring? So uh, we actually have, funny enough, we, we, we have a couple of interested parties in Kenya uh, around mobile money. They are already exploring mobile money, or sorry, uh, buy now, pay later solutions, and they are working on buy now, pay later solutions in Kenya. Um, and that's more or less where mobile money has led because at the end of the day, we need a way to be able to track the transactions, okay. right? And for us to track, we need either bank or mobile money. If you really think about those are the two major things that we would ideally need for us to do any groundwork, right? So... Buy now, pay later is going to be very interesting, especially in South Africa. Uh, because it's it it was a solution more or less tailored around the cash uh, economies or which came from the cash economies, mm. and now it's penetrating. We're seeing movements around uh, the space, and it's something that we have also incorporated in our product uh, to have a buy now pay later solution within the product and uh, allow our SMEs to also access that facility. So I think over time, we are also quite keen to see how the market is responding to that and how all people are going to be using the, the facility itself. My fear is that um, mobile money as a platform is a lot more volatile in terms of transactions made. It's not uh, in the Zimbabwean or Southern African context. It's not really where you would say your primary bank account. If you look at Zim as a market where it's now super easy to open a bank account, even a light account, a KYC light account. Um, how would you engine, how would you then calibrate your engine to make sense of someone who might not have anything in their mobile money wallet for like three months and then suddenly you get X amount? But I know that differs in, from country to country. But just using the Zimbabwean yeah, model as an example. 
Okay, so so we you are allowed uh, maybe something that I didn't mention. You are allowed to link one multiple bank accounts. Okay. Uh, you are allowed to link a bank account and a, a, a mobile money everywhere where you have your money or you get your money there. It will give us a better picture of how things are going. So as an example, I might have a mobile money, uh, mobile account in this case, let's say EcoCash, mm. and I have a, a bank account. So I can link both of them. And when transactions come in, uh, our engine is able to compile both from both uh, the bank account and the uh, mobile money wallet and then come up with a better picture of okay. how well we are doing. So we, won't, we, we are not limiting it to one primary uh, account or, or bank account or mobile money uh, wallet. So that's a nice way to see who's externalizing money because you get the executive Yeah. So you you mentioned the the alternative credit scoring, the SaaS product for credit providers, and the SMEs uh, insights. Um, that's three very different products. How do you scale sustainably all three? Uh, because I don't know how big the internal team is. You could have hundreds of people. Who knows? But how do you scale three very different products, but that have kind of a leaning to one another? So great question. We. We we are more looking at a soft selling product than anything else. Okay. Um, we 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 try to modulize the different um offerings that we give. So you might find a bank saying, "Hey, we just want your scoring engine alone. Mm. We don't want the software as a service, and we provide that scoring." Or someone might say they just want the report, right? They want a final report and then they can make the decisions and do it. So what we have realized over time is once you modularize, you allow for different types of customers to also come in at any given point because they, they just want uh, one bit or they want everything. It, it, it just depends. Okay. So right now we have kind of partnered with, with uh, some banks um, in South Africa or working on, on, on some partnerships as well, uh, and also some institutions in Kenya uh, to allow for that scaling. Because what you also need is a big data set that allows you to continuously uh, improve the model because you would want to change the model, or the model must learn according to how the economy is going and how people are transacting and end. So we, we have gone the route of partnering with, uh, institutions that are within our ecosystem. Mm. Uh, so banks being a typical example who have millions of, of users and if we're coming in to, to allow them to score, we are allowing uh, them to be able to issue out loans based on the transactions that they already have. And the good thing about banks is they can also get a quick debit order directly from the account of the you know, from the uh, yeah. applicant. So we have gone that route to more partner with institutions and uh, explored using that route. Okay, so I actually forgot to ask at the beginning, how long does a person's transaction history have to be for, for them to get a credit score, that an alternative credit score that can, let's say, be conclusive or at the very least move the needle for the, um, for the lender? So minimum, I would say three months. Okay. Um, but the longer, 
a bet to okay. be to be quite frank. Um uh sweet spot you're looking at six to twelve months. Okay. Yeah. So that the bank can directly give you all those reports. Let's say if someone has had an account for three years, that bank you can get access to three years worth of bank statements monthly. Yes. Okay. And this is a process they can literally just plug in up or someone has to literally send each and every generate a statement and then upload and send. So if you plug we can get transactions there and then. Okay. Um, if you allow to plug if you don't want to plug into allow us to plug into your account, you can upload statements. So either or works for us. It's just how how desperately you want the loan. Yeah. But it is what makes it easier the um, the plugging makes it easier because you don't need to continuously come back and update your your bank statements, right? Because okay. we will on in real time will continue to to see the transactions coming in and see whether you can qualify for a better facilitator. And proportionally, the people who prefer the plug-in to the people who prefer um, uh, uploading statements, what's the ratio like? So we have found, I'd say, um, calculating, I'd say 2 to 5 in favor of uh, uploading. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty decent. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm guessing, since we're talking about scaling the product, uh, what ceiling do you see for your product? Uh, where do you see it? Well, let's just take the, the uh, SaaS product, for example, for credit providers. There's a very limited pool. South Africa is a big country, but there's a very limited pool of credit providers, even though many are getting approved every day. But it's, it's, it's a product with a ceiling. How do you, do you license it? Do you, do you pay monthly fees? What, what is it like? And how, how can you see it growing? Because I can see the alternative credit scoring from my un, uninformed opinion being better um, uh, than the rest. So how, how do you make those others make sense in terms of development of time to develop it and time to improve it? So great question. Great question. So what we foresee is, by the way, they, they are kind of a lot of micro lenders uh, <laughs> in South Africa. I also was kind of surprised. Um, but over and above that, you are looking at... Um, as I was saying, modularizing the different offers. So mm. you can get to a point where uh, an institution other than lending, or which we, we have kind of gotten into, they are, they are just keen to to see the the scoring of the person right? mm. and they need the person scored. And we can provide that scoring, but maybe the scoring isn't entirely for, for lending reasons. Okay. Right? It can be a car dealership. Okay. Which, which wants to provide, you know, uh, lists and, and. Yeah. so you see those things continuously then evolve around all that. It can be management of uh, uh, students or uh, parents who are paying for uh, student loans. Right, apply for a loan. You want to see whether someone will afford for the mm. loan. So you see it continuously evolves and touching different aspects. Because we have managed to modulize the product itself. Okay. So how do you? I mean, my mind is now going to the point of how do you then keep changing the same model to fit new criteria, and more more so convincing people in that space to be like, if you want to get a university loan, for example, um, like you mentioned, it can monitor transaction history. Let's say of your of your of your uh, of your funders or, or finances or parents. How do you then not convince, but is it someone comes up to you and says, 
we want a more do universities let me just break it down do universities come to you or banks come to you saying they want this facility to see if they can expand this this loan um, market so it's it's i think two folds it's some universe or third party would come to us and say hey we see this working for us in one two three mm. can you tailor it for us right that's one two it can be from our internal sales team well we'll see you know a gap in the market to say hey you can actually provide one two three mm. into this space so it's also continuous research that we we then dedicate ourselves to to allow for the continuous involvement of the product or of the offering how big is your team because now i'm wondering that you guys might have like 300 people doing this <laughs> no we, we're actually quite a small team um around um 20 Okay, yeah, that, that that that's pretty small. Yeah. And uh, how many of these are devs and et cetera, et cetera? So I'd say 60% are dev, 60 or 70% are dev. Okay, yeah. all right. But that, that continuously, you know, changes because we also have quite a number of people uh, who are consultants who are working with us. Okay, and they can meet the demand of this ever-evolving market. Let's say, has, has you, have you had a night where it just stopped working or something broke and you had to now rush and fix something? Those things happen to every company. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we have had those instances, uh, but it's also part of the learning curve and we're co- continuously hiring uh, new talent in, uh, trying to get to a point where we have enough resources to, to you know, cater for, for the market that we kind of have. So for example, we are continuously hiring in the tech, tech space. Okay. Uh, that's an ongoing kind of hiring as mm. long as we see good talent we were quite keen okay and when it comes to scaling the business as a whole funding is a really really big problem that's from my opinion mm-hmm. i saw on your crunch visit one and a half 1.065 million that was raised i don't know if that's correct or yes so our first raise was one 1.1 million mm. us dollars uh that was back in 2021 i think end of 2021 beginning of 2022 mm. Uh, currently, we are about to close our second round, uh, and we'll see. Uh, ideally, how we'll see how that that goes over. Uh, we should be closing, I think, within the month, within the next month or so. And that is how. Well, I don't think credit is a difficult thing to sell people as an idea and what you're doing. But when you go into those investor meetings or when you have to present a pitch deck or something. Um, what kind of questions do you hear from people? Are they questions that I'm, I, I am asking or they like? So, um, investor meetings, um, you get a couple of th- questions. By the way, that, that mostly is our CEO's role. <laughs> <laughs> so she deals with that most of the time. Um, but yeah, you get more, que- more questions around how you're, you're looking to scale your cost structure. Right now, we're in a space where costs is is a big thing within the tech space mm. uh uh people are, are not just investing for the sake of investing they okay. want to see uh progress they want to see you profitable and they want to see your plan being profitable so those are kind of where i then jump in uh from the finance side uh from the projection side and so forth uh but the general pitch deck is also you know uh speaking more so around what the product does and what we are providing and so forth so any kind of pushback in those investor meetings to someone who might not necessarily understand and or believe what you're trying to achieve? 
Um, I guess yes. Uh, they definitely are. Um, but most of the ones that I then join because when I do then join the investor meetings, it's all the data point of uh, uh, projections and financials. Okay. Uh, the initial discussions are handled by our our CEO. Oh, Teboho, she, Teboho, yes. she does that. Oh, okay. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't have to face the fire. You just face the fire when it comes to the numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's where we then jump in together and, you know, fight the battle together. Yeah. So with this new round, hopefully you close it. Um, how, how, is it how much equity are you going to be giving up uh, for that? Because if I was coming in, let's say with, like, what can I afford? $7 million USD. Let's go Zimbabwean dollars. $7 million <laughs> Zimbabwean dollars. Um, how would you navigate the issue around the amount of equity that someone wants from your business? Because this is not only unique to a key, but it's unique to a lot of businesses and a lot of founders who don't quite know how to read the term sheet. Uh, maybe you can go through some of the... Hey, listen, you can say what you want, but some of the term sheets you've gotten and how you've navigated around what they have wanted. So you, you always have your, your standard valuation that you, you're kind of coming in and standard amount that you, you, you are raising uh, or you're trying to raise from that. And from there on, it's a matter of negotiation. To be very honest, there's, <laughs> there's nothing else I can tell. Someone might be disagreeing with the numbers. Someone mm. might be agreeing with the numbers. Mm. So now, from that point, it's now, you know, negotiations and discussions from there. So it, you, in terms of what we end up giving up, it really depends on how the round uh, goes. Right? Uh, it's not really a... We are, we are coming in and max or, or we are only giving up 5%. Uh, but it's more, so we might have that aim, mm. but then when it comes to negotiating, it might turn up differently. So those are some of the things that we then evaluate at the end of uh, the whole uh, fundraising period. I know there's some founders who've read the term sheet and just said no. Like from the first reading, no. how many of those do you get? And how difficult does it make to scale the business as a whole uh, when funding is there, but what the investor is asking for is probably a little bit too much? Um, so I haven't really faced those kind of situations. Mm. Uh, as I say, Teboko is more so on the ground in terms of the investment piece. Mm. Um, but on, on a generic space, in terms of scaling, you if, if this, I think... I normally call it the Elon Musk era <laughs> because now the pressure is always on to be sustainable. Mm. So no matter what uh, comes out of the fundraising, my goal and my is to make sure that we have money and we have a runway to continue operating at the level that we want to continue operating. Whether it's us relying on our own revenue or us cutting back to make sure that we have so that's the space that I then come in and, you know, try to advise and ma maintain within the, the organization. And speaking of cutbacks, since apparently we're going into a recession already, are into a recession, what projections do you have of the credit market in South Africa and in Kenya? So I, I predict that there will be high demand uh, of credit, um, but in terms of the facilities being provided might be uh, a whole different thing, okay. right? Um, because I think the wave is going to be quite tough, uh, more so for, I think, individuals, mm. because there will be a lot of cutbacks in terms of resources. I think we've already seen Amazon um, um, 
retrenched, I think, 30,000 uh, employees. So I think that wave is going to come in. I, I haven't seen the effect yet, uh, but I predict the effect in terms of credit would be more so on individuals mm. than the, the smaller SMEs. Obviously, that wave will then trickle down to the, the spending habits, the SMEs, them getting, you know, uh, the customers, the customers paying and so forth. But then for now, I, I, would, I would predict that the next couple of months is going to impact more so individuals than um, SMEs in terms of the credit space. So for your business, how have you guys, the entire team, prepared yourselves for this, let's say this year's 2023, because we're still in second week of it? Yeah. How have you prepared for this impending wave of this recession that they say we're in and we're not, it's coming? I don't know. Yeah, so... Um, <sighs> It's it's really optimizing what what we 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 are not seeing full value in. Let's do without. Uh, what we we can do without. Let's do without. Right. Mm. Um, and seeing from that where else we can try to get additional revenue, if I can put it that way, mm. because it's quite hard in this ecosystem right now to be fundraising. Mm. Right. Um, so the focus is more so around optimizing the operations of the business mm. and making sure that uh, you have enough budget and you are you're prioritizing the right thing at the right time. Okay. I, I actually, on that point of raising, I'm going to be going back to it, is I saw an article by TechCrunch saying startups have to get prepared for down rounds. So you might get into a funding round with a figure in your head, but you get a term sheet with, let's say, a quarter of what you expected, um, but let you, you want... The money to you know to scale. I know Tabor handles most of that, but I'm saying, in your opinion, you know, just just as a person, how would you view the down round situation, and how would you, let's say, if you were looking at that term sheet, how would you interpret it on a personal level? I know Tabor didn't deal with this personally, but I mean, just from your opinion. Um, so it's it's a matter of of making sure that you are not that desperate. Mm. Uh, making sure, I think, from my view, you raise. Uh, Give yourself enough time to be raising so that if you are turning down a term sheet, you can turn down a term sheet. Mm. Because what's going to happen is you can't be raising a month before you run out of money. That's because true. you're going you're gonna to take any, any, anything that comes your way, right? Mm. Because you want to continue operating. It's no longer expansion. It's a matter of survival, <laughs> you know? So I think that's the biggest mistake uh, that other startups were making. Mm. Um, and it did trickle down to them, them taking deals that are actually, you know, really bad. Mm. Uh, but making sure that you actually know your runway and know when it ends and what affects your runway would be the first key to, to them seeing when you, maybe you need six months. Previously, maybe you needed two months to raise, but mm. now you need six months or you need 12 months. So you need to raise, you know, in a, you need to give yourself enough time to be preparing for that whole again. Okay. Um, and I don't want to sound like uh, I, I stereotype South Africa, but I believe South Africa probably has one of the bigger uh, merging acquisition sort of style. Uh, you know, big companies will come and look at you and be like, yeah, we like what you're doing. We're going to, you know, do a, do a, I mean, hostile or <laughs> in other terms, you prefer us to just take over. Um, the, your model, from my own personal opinion, I think it's a really interesting model. I think it's what Southern Africa and Africa need because of the cash economies um, that we exist in. Um, I'm sure that other people think along the lines that I'm thinking that it's a really good model, really good company. Have you, have you ever experienced something where 
someone with a lot of money and a lot of sense has come to you and said, yeah, listen, we'll give you X amount for you guys to walk away. So it, it did get to that point, uh, but not really X amount to, you know, it was, you know, those small hints that then come in yeah. within the meetings, whether it's a contract which is coming with a, we need shares kind of, kind okay. of thing. And that's quite common in the space in South Africa, mm. uh, where for you to get a big deal, they also want to buy, you know, shares within the business. And that's always a tough tough one to go about and mm. a tough one to say no to because it might be the contract value might be a million or two million. Mm. Uh, but they are saying they also want 50% of the uh, company uh, as an example. Mm. So that's always a tough position whether you say yes or to say no to that. And it, I think if, even if you read the, the whole space, it's quite hard for a startup or a, a, a small business to be collaborating with a big uh, company in South Africa or big corporate, mm. whether you're looking at banks, whether you're looking at any other corporate mm. uh, um, company, because of that whole, uh, I think, situation. Okay. Um, I'm guessing you guys said no. So they were like, eh. I mean, giving up <laughs> you power. You might be surprised and hear an announcement tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't, don't spring that up on me. But I, I, I know it's difficult. Like, when you get a good offer sometimes, but you said don't act out of desperation. Um, you have to keep a level head. And I'm guessing, you know, the entire team is looking at it like, yeah, does this make sense for us? Does this, you know, is something exactly. to lean on to? Or... So 2023, uh, what do you guys have planned? What are your hopes for this year? I know it's going to be a tough year for everyone. Everyone's trying to be optimistic, but I know it's their bloodbaths happening in those, in those numbers. Sure. Uh, what, what, what is your goal, let's say, one goal for 2023 and um, the thing you hope to happen? So necessarily you don't have control over, but you hope it happens. So um, I'd, I'd say the main goal for me is the successful launch in Kenya. Mm. Uh, that's that's keeping me on the edge uh but i'm hoping that goes well and the second bit i would say hope would be um i think more so the uptake of the alternative scoring within the general uh space okay. so within south africa itself whether it's, it's you know uh, the micro lenders or the micro lenders or whether it's or the banks and so so that's a big hope that I really don't have control over. <laughs> uh, but that's that's something that I'm yeah I'm definitely hoping. Oh, fantastic. Because I thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been fun. I learned a lot. Uh, when I look more into your business uh, model in the coming days, and hopefully the Kenya uh, expansion goes well, hoping there's no launch in Zimbabwe. You guys look like you're firmly <laughs> definitely in Zimbabwe. Nah, we're still too scared. <laughs> Let's see how, how we formalize. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much, man, for your time. Uh, yeah. So thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you so much.